This is The Writer's Voice, new fiction from The New Yorker. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. On this episode of The Writer's Voice, we'll hear Otessa Moshfeg read her story, An Honest Woman, from the October 24, 2016 issue of the magazine. Moshfeg is the author of two novels, McClue and Eileen. This is her second story in the magazine. Now here's Otessa Moshfeg. An Honest Woman They met one summer day through the high chain-link fence between their backyards. His yard was just plain brown dirt. Hers was full of dusty bags of fertilizer and tools, haphazardly scattered where she'd started planting flowers in the tough soil. The man had seen neighbors come and go over the many years he'd lived there, in the dark corner of the cul-de-sac. Through seven presidents, he told the girl, laughing nervously and swatting his neck as if to catch mosquitoes. He was only sixty, but looked far older. Vitiligo had stripped his brittle hair of its color, made his face seem riddled with fat freckles. Pretty, sturdy, in her early thirties. She had been living next door to the man for two months already. He had just been waiting for the proper moment to introduce himself. I'm Jeb, the man said. That's a long time, Jeb, the girl said to him, that many presidents. Jeb laughed again and sighed and looked at her through the fence. His shock of white hair gleamed in a single ray of light falling from the girl's yard into his. His strange spotted face and bulbous nose made the girl look away. White strands of loose thread hung down from her jean shorts and fluttered around her thighs. Her breasts, Jeb noticed, were untethered, no bra. What color were her eyes? Jeb looked down at them, perplexed to find that they were of different colors, one a strange violet shade of blue, the other green with flecks of black and honey. Coils of green rubber hose snaked through the mess in the yard behind her. He was glad, he told the girl, to have a new neighbor and relieved that the property was being cared for after so long. The previous owners of the house had ripped out its walls, banged around all day, left busted garbage bags of broken plaster on the curb, chalking up the blacktop. The bank had taken it over in a terrible state of disrepair, then sold it to the girl for next to nothing. How are you and your husband liking the neighborhood? Jeb asked through the fence. But he already knew that the boy was gone. In the past few weeks, Jeb had watched the boy and the girl through the scrim of brown paper covering their den windows. He'd heard their spats and squabbles. The boy's motorcycle had been missing from its spot under the garage awning for days. Trevor left, the girl said, crossing her arms. She looked down at the ground, hid her toes behind a tall tuft of crabgrass. 
He's at work, Jeb said, nodding, pretending to misinterpret her. What is his profession, if I may ask? No, I mean he's gone, the girl said, for good this time. He's left you all alone? Jeb hooked the fingers of one hand into the chain-link fence and took a step toward her. He placed his other hand over his heart and let his strange, sagging mandible soften into a deep frown. That's just awful. Poor dear. He shook his head. Whatever, you know, the girl said. She made fists of her hands, then spread her fingers out like bombs exploding. That's life. I do know, Jeb said gravely, his thick lips trembling in false sympathy. That was one way he knew to affect women, to seem overcome by his own unruly emotions and then to apologize for them. I'm sorry, he said, gasping and frowning again. Jeb saw that there was no ring on the girl's finger. She wasn't a widow or a divorcee. She was only newly single and not for long, Jeb supposed. I just know the feeling all too well he said. Shit, don't cry, the girl said. Despite being pretty and soft of flesh, she had something harsh about her, Jeb thought, something crude. In the silence, Jeb felt the girl's gaze shift across his narrow torso, the crepey, spotted skin on his thin arms. She was assessing him, he knew. He cleared his throat and brought his hands together, clapped them twice, as though he'd just finished a difficult task. He corrected his slumped posture. Our houses are mirror images, you know, he said. He held up his palms side by side in front of him. La Destra and La Sinistra, that's me. I know a little Italian, he added. I took a class once, years and years ago. Then his voice took on a bright, folksy twang, as he said, as if the girl had prompted him to, Well, come on over sometime if you get lonesome. Have a cup of coffee with your old next-door neighbor. You're welcome any time. Are you Southern? the girl asked, ignoring his invitation. She looked snooty. She looked distrustful. I'm an Alabama boy, Jeb answered, but I've lived here forever. Too long. Seven presidents, if you can believe that, he said, laughing at the repeated joke as though to cheer her with his senility. When he smiled, he exposed the deep rot of his claw-like teeth. They were nearly black along the gums. Nice to meet you, he said. He put out his hand to mime a handshake through the chain link. The girl sniggered. We can shake E.T. style she said, and extended her index finger through the fence. Jeb met the tip of it with his. He marked the moment in his mind, the feel of her finger, hot, dry, resilient. Bye, she said. Jeb watched her round, bouncing calves, brown from summer and flecked with mud as she crossed the yard and went up her steps. If you ever need a hand, he began, but the girl didn't hear him. Her silhouette passed behind the gray screens of the back porch, and then she was inside, and her kitchen door was shut, 
and her radio was on. She'd had the radio on a lot, Jeb had noticed, since the boy had left her. Jeb could hear almost everything that went on in her house he'd figured out if he listened carefully from his basement window. That night, Jeb ate his dinner in the basement, listening to the sounds the girl made alone in her house. Her radio was tuned to old folk singers, women's music, Jeb thought, spearing his food with a heavy silver fork. He chewed thoroughly, gagging now and then on the tough, pan-fried steak, the few raw strands of carrot and green bell pepper. He thought that drinking while you ate diluted the stomach's acids, though he rarely drank more than his morning coffee and an occasional tumbler of Kenny May whiskey when he had something to celebrate or mourn. Otherwise, he was dumb to the pleasures of consumption. He did, however, enjoy the thrill of frugality in stocking large quantities of meat purchased on sale in his storage freezer, which he now used as a dinner table in the basement. He liked to buy his vegetables at a discount, too, usually off the sale rack in the supermarket. He'd been doing it for so long that the very sight of that neon orange discount sticker could make his mouth water. He was glad the girl didn't try to emulate the singer's flourishes when she sang along. He would have been embarrassed to hear that. She sang a sad song. Clearly, she knew all the words. And in the rests, he thought he detected the faint swish of a magazine. He imagined her sitting on a colorful quilt, yellow lamplight glazing her bare arms and glinting off the vertebrae of her neck as she peered down at the pictures of everything she coveted. He felt that he was getting to know the girl by the sounds she made, her foul mouth on the phone with her girlfriends, the violent slams of her bureau drawers as she dressed, her quick steps up and down the stairs in the morning, her slow steps up and down at night. Jeb had even heard her passing gas a few times, and he hoped one day to tell her so. And yet my affection for you did not diminish, he imagined saying. In fact, it only endeared you to me more. Before Trevor left, Jeb hadn't liked to listen very closely. The two were always yelling at each other. Where's my shoes? Ready? What? Babe? And then there was, Babe, come talk to me. And, Babe, look at this. And, Babe, get down here. And the worst, I love you, Babe. Babe. No one in Jeb's life had ever called him that. Jeb was as sweet a name as he'd ever gone by and still it had an ugly, rubbery ring to it, like a name for dishwashing detergent or soap used to mop prison floors. Jeb. It was short for Jebediah. But nobody ever asked him to explain it. Nobody could bear to look at him, he thought, much less sit and listen to him talk. Sunday morning, Jeb's nephew parked his black sedan in the driveway and threw his cigarette butt at the parched dirt yard. Jeb fried some eggs and bacon, made toast, poured coffee. 
peeled the waxed paper off a fresh stick of butter. He'd spent the past hour listening to the girl plodding around her house, scrubbing the floors, filling buckets of water with the nozzle from the kitchen sink, hammering nails into the walls. The occasional cry of shit or ouch or motherfucker punctuated the radio news broadcast that blathered on from her kitchen. There were protesters in Egypt getting killed. There were scientists discovering new planets. There were fires in a national park, a flood in India, a spree of robberies across the river. Poor people and immigrants liked the president. A storm was coming. High winds, they warned. Keep your pets safe inside. Whatever, the girl muttered and turned the dial to jazz. My new neighbor's nice, Jeb said to his nephew once they'd sat down to eat in the breakfast nook. Jeb took for himself only one strip of bacon, one dry piece of toast. Single gal, he went on, right next door. I'm sure she could use a friend her own age. The nephew ate a forkful of eggs. His face was thin and bearded. He wore a small gold hoop in one ear. What's she look like, he asked, head tilted skeptically, truthfully, head to toe. Oh, please, Jeb said. You're not one to be picky. Looks a bit like Luann. Luann had been the nephew's high school girlfriend. She has that kind of tan. I'll meet her, the nephew said, but I'm not saying I'll take her out. I don't need any drama. What drama? You should be so lucky, Jeb said. A sweet gal. Comes with baggage, of course, as they all do. Kids? The nephew asked. Forget it. No, no kids. Emotional issues, more like, Jeb said. You know women, stray cats, all of them, either purring in your lap or pissing in your shoes. Amen to that, the nephew said. She is pretty, something special about her, a gal who might be worth suffering for if you ask me. Anyway, you'd be so lucky, he repeated. He pulled the nephew's empty plate away. Go over there and introduce yourself. Or, better yet, bring her this piece of mail. He put the plate in the sink and went to the kitchen drawer, where he'd been saving a letter the postman had misdelivered. It was a notice from a university library across the river. The girl was late in returning a book, and the fee was multiplying day by day. I meant to give it to her yesterday, Jeb said. But it's Sunday morning, the nephew said. Never mind, Jeb said. She's up. I'm sure she'll be happy to have a visitor. He put a hand on the boy's muscled shoulder as they walked to the front door. When you see her, tell her I send my regards. The nephew skipped through the front yard, kicking up dust, and jogged across the crumbling sidewalk onto the girl's lawn. Her yard had no fencing around it, just thick, overgrown grass, small evergreen bushes. Piles of damp mulch spread sloppily around two crooked saplings. A few empty flower pots sat on the stoop. The nephew rang the doorbell, then knocked, his chest heaving with impatience. 
When the girl answered, Jeb ducked back into the house to watch the scene through his living room window. She wore her frayed denim shorts and a black T-shirt with the sleeves cut off. The nephew stood agog for a moment, then handed her the letter. As they spoke, the girl flapped the letter in her hand. She dug her finger under the seal of the envelope, failing to notice that it had been opened and re-glued by Jeb. The nephew looked expectant, scratched his ear, put his hands in and out of his pockets. The girl shrugged and flipped her hair and smiled. Finally, he backed down off her front steps. The girl waved the letter, then shut the door. Jeb watched her silhouette through her papered windows. He kneaded his shoulder with his hand. It was all gristle and sinew. He peeled a soft brown banana. He listened to his nephew drive away. In the early afternoon, Jeb was in the backyard, dragging a rusted lawn chair across the dirt. He sat in a spot from which he could see the girl doing dishes through her open kitchen door. Beware the storm, he yelled when she finally walked out to the porch and sat on the warped wooden back steps. I love this time, the calm before. She looked at Jeb through the chain-link fence. He was just sitting there, facing her yard as if it were a TV set. Hey, she said. The soft, warm wind tussled her long, loose hair. She gathered it in her fingers, hooked it through the strap of her tank top, then turned her back to Jeb to light a cigarette. Say, Jeb said, dragging the chair closer to the fence. I don't mean to pry, but may I say how pleased I was to hear you made a new friend in my young nephew. Been a while since he had someone special in his life, he winked. I wish you both well. It's not a big deal, the girl said, picking a fleck of tobacco from her tongue. We're just having a drink together. Now, now, Jeb said, I don't want to poke my head in. I respect y'all's privacy. The girl stood. There's nothing to be private about, she said. It's not a date or anything. You could come with us if you wanted. It's the same to me, either way. Oh no, I couldn't intrude like that. Jeb furrowed his eyebrows, shook his head. The girl looked so beautiful in the wind and the strange pink light of the sun through the pale clouds. He watched her shirt flatten against her body in the wind. You don't need an old man getting in your way, he said. Holding the cigarette in her teeth, she wrestled her hair down again and twisted it into a braid. Her armpits were gritty with tiny hairs and flecked with clumps of white deodorant. If you want to join us, I don't mind. I don't care, she said flatly. If you insist, Jeb said, Come over to my side, why don't you? We'll toast you the Alabama way, and then y'all can go off wherever young folks go. You do drink whiskey, don't you? Who doesn't, she answered, dragging her cigarette against the doorframe. See you at eight, then, Jeb said, and watched her walk across her yard, pitched forward in the wind. 
She picked up a small, potted sapling and carried it back to the porch. It'll pass quick, Jeb shouted, pointing up at the churning, rose-colored sky, but the girl couldn't hear him. The first thunder clapped, a flash of lightning. Jeb went back into the house and sat on the couch, listening and counting, waiting for the storm. By eight o'clock, the rains had arrived in lazy, side-sweeping sheets, battering Jeb's windows. The sky was black now, but lightning turned it amethyst and smoky each time it cracked overhead. Jeb had showered, put on a clean shirt, combed his hair with pomade, shaved, slapped his jowls with cologne. His dinner had been a boiled chicken drumstick, a small can of sauerkraut, a few tart, early summer cherries. Through the concert of the storm, nothing from the girl's house had been audible at the basement window. Jeb's own radio now reported downed power lines flooding on the interstate. Fallen branches had forced some roads to close. It wasn't safe to drive over the bridge, they said. The nephew called to convey a message to the girl. Tell her I'm stuck. I can't come tonight. What a shame, Jeb said. I'll tell her. In the living room, he tidied a pile of clipped coupons on the end table by the couch, set out the bottle of Kenny May. From the kitchen cabinet, he chose two crystal-cut tumblers, licked the rims of both, and set them next to the whiskey. He tuned the radio to easy listening. A few minutes past eight, his front buzzer rang. The girl was there in black rubber boots and a glossy yellow raincoat, its hood hovering stiffly over her darkened face. Is he here yet? Was how she greeted Jeb. Welcome, welcome, Jeb said, holding the door open. The girl stepped back inside and took off her raincoat. Water dripped all over the floor. Jeb took a step back. The girl's dress was disappointing. Not quite a house dress, but pastel, floral, cheap cotton with short sleeves. He happily noted the appearance of earrings, small silver hearts. She smelled of coconuts, of fruity cocktails, tropical breezes, white sand beaches. He took her raincoat and hung it on the rack by the door. I guess I should take these off too, the girl said, and bent over to loosen her foot from her boot. When she lost her balance, Jeb caught her forearm in his hand. She hardly seemed to notice. Jeb blushed at the sensuousness of her flesh, soft around the bone, like the arm of a baby. He tried not to squeeze her too tightly. When she righted herself, he let go. Then she bent and balanced and pulled the other boot off, giving the old man a glimpse of her hanging cleavage. I'm sorry to report that my nephew is running late, Jeb said, locking the front door. He has been detained due to the rain. He inhaled the smell of her, searching his mind for the words. Pina colada, he exclaimed, waggling a finger. Your perfume, am I right? 
It's only moisturizer, the girl said, straightening her dress. How late will he be? Just a few minutes, Jeb said. He says we shouldn't wait on him. It was dim inside the house. Only small, flame-shaped bulbs glowed faintly in the sconces in the front hall. Jeb showed her into the living room. The ceiling lamp there gave off a sputtering, weak light. Jeb's eyes were two black shadows when he stood under it. His face looked like a skull. Come sit, he said, coaxing the girl with the hand at the small of her back. She allowed him that to be hospitable, it seemed. She was thicker than she looked, Jeb thought, strong but small, like a bulldog puppy. Tough bitch, he said to himself. Kick back a bit. The girl sat on the couch, holding the hem of her dress down as she crossed her legs. Your house is just like mine, only in reverse, she said. Jeb went to the end table, picked up the Kenny May, and poured them each a few fingers of whiskey. I don't have any ice, I'm afraid, he said, holding a glass out to the girl. Outside, the storm churned. Over the love song on the radio, they could hear twigs and branches snapping, the rush of the wind through the leaves, rain splashing against the house. To new neighbors, new friends, Jeb said. They raised their glasses and drank. The girl made a face and sniffed her whiskey. Jeb looked out the window, grinning. He was well aware that when he felt jubilant, he acted strangely. He could seem too eager, too effusive. He could disclose too much. He tried to hold himself upright, rigid, but he couldn't keep himself from speaking what was on his mind. Pump and dump. You're familiar with the expression, he asked. That's what my nephew calls it. That's what he likes to do. The storm may have saved you from that humiliation. Thank God for Mother Nature. Jesus, the girl said, snorting. Men never ceased to amaze her. Sly dogs, all of them, nasty creatures. Christ, she said. She drank more whiskey. The kid just asked me out for a drink. I'm no whore. Jeb bent at the waist, lowered his head. I guess your enthusiasm had him fooled, he said, and winked. Then he straightened himself again and tried to keep from smiling. The girl tapped her fingernails against her glass and let herself sink back against the old plaid couch. Its springs had been flattened over the decades. The upholstery smelled of Jeb, bitter, like dry rot and slightly chemical. The rough fabric of the cushions scratched the girl's arms. She closed her eyes and sipped her drink. She was tired. It was hard work to get her house in order, and she was doing it by herself now. She was glad to have the distraction away from her thoughts the cold jabs each time she longed for Trevor's hand to touch her, his lips to kiss her neck, her cheeks, her thighs. Sinking deeper into the couch, she thought that if Trevor were to come back, she'd let him do whatever he wanted. Maybe she'd even let herself get pregnant. But the idea was like a bad taste in her mouth. 
She made a sour face. Jeb watched her diaphragm rise and fall under the thin fabric of her dress. She seemed edgy, irritated, her eyes twisted and barbed. I'm sorry, dear. Did I offend you? he asked. The girl looked straight up at him. You're trying to get to me, aren't you? she said. Jeb's eyes darted back and forth between her crossed, luminous knees and the rumbling window pane. I see your game. You're trying to shame me for being young and pretty. You want to make me apologize for all the other girls who didn't like you. You just can't stand that I'm right next door reminding you of all that. That's it, isn't it? Pump and dump, she scoffed. Nothing you say can hurt me. See if you can do it. I dare you. She chuckled and sipped her whiskey, then placed the glass on the coffee table. You never know with young women these days, Jeb said. It's a rough, wild world out there, and girls, women. He knew the distinction was an important one to make for the girl to feel respected. They just give themselves away for free. It breaks my heart. Low self-esteem, they call it. He clucked his tongue, shook his head, then brought his hand to his chest. I'm sorry, he said, speaking softly as though he were about to cry. He stooped forward over the coffee table, picked up the girl's glass, and moved it to a coaster. But I haven't done anything, the girl maintained, rolling her eyes. There's nothing to get upset about. Jesus, I already told you, I see your game. You're trying to get me to cry on your shoulder. Make me out to be the screwed-up one, as though that's why I'm not willing to sleep with you. I wasn't born yesterday, you know. When Jeb was excited, his heart fluttered, like a pigeon in a burlap sack, he told the doctor. And what do you mean for free? The girl went on. You think it's better to sell yourself? What is it with you men? You always see everything as this and that, like everything is for sale. Pardon? Jeb said. Give and take, like life is some bank account you're trying to fill up, and like every girl's a whore. My dear, I have no idea what you're talking about. No kidding, the girl said. She pursed her lips tight, wrinkling her chin. Jeb thought she looked rather ugly that way. She held her breath. She seemed somehow to be on the verge of combusting. Beneath the coffee table, her bare foot was jiggling like a bobblehead. A bolt of lightning cracked and flashed. Is your nephew coming, you think? She asked, her voice suddenly soft and innocent. No, Jeb said. Oh, she said. But still the girl remained seated. She even adjusted her posture to make herself more comfortable, leaning forward so that her skin did not touch the rough fabric of the couch. He was quiet. He watched her lips tighten, then unfurl as she sipped her whiskey. Jeb swallowed back some phlegm, moved stiffly to the couch, and sat down. His hand rested on the cushion between him and the girl. His pinky finger grazed the soft fabric of her dress. If he'd wanted to, he thought, he could easily have pinched the flesh of her thigh. 
These are some photos, he said, turning to an old cigar box on the coffee table. He flipped the lid of the box open. The girl bent over to look at the photographs inside, slid them around in the box as though she were shuffling puzzle pieces. Jeb looked again at her tanned, dewy cleavage. What year was this? she asked, picking up a photo. It was a small school portrait of Jeb as a boy. His face was fat, his eyes cold and tortured, his striped tie wrung tightly around his neck. Age nine, Jeb pronounced. He shook his head gruffly as though to wake himself up. If my age is an issue for you, he began to say, why should I care how old you are? What's it to me? She flipped another photo around, stuck it out so Jeb could see it. It was a photo of him as a young man, skulking beside his father, a dark, mean figure in a gray sack-like suit. In the photo, Jeb had thick red hair. Your hair's so white now, she said, looking at the photo again. They called me Red Jeb when I was young. Say that six times fast, he laughed. People sometimes think I'm an albino, if you can believe that. Of course I can believe it, the girl said. I'd believe almost anything in this world. And occasionally, black folks think I'm an albino black, if you can believe that. I suppose it's a compliment. It isn't catching my vitiligo. It's perfectly harmless. In some cultures, it's considered a mark of the divine. If I went to those countries, people would stop and pray to me in the street, I guess. Saint Jeb, he said and laughed again. Nowadays, of course, I just look old. Children can be cruel. Can I use your bathroom? The girl asked, interrupting him. Jeb looked down at her knees. The blue tint of her veins showed through her skin. He faked a cough, composed himself, then bent over the photographs again, wetting his finger, not on his tongue, but on the fat, spittily lip hanging down between his frown lines. You know where it is, he said. Jeb listened to her heavy step as she crossed the front hall to the bathroom beneath the stairs. In her absence, he looked at the photos and thought back to a failed romance from long ago. He'd thought he was in love, but after only one intimate rendezvous, the woman had sat on the toilet and dismissed him completely. You're too uptight, she'd told him. You have no imagination. His heart fluttered again as he remembered how her thighs had swayed when she rose to wipe herself. Then the toilet flushed. He listened for the sink faucet to run, but it didn't. The girl came back. I like the wallpaper in your bathroom, she said, and the old sink. She sat down again. Jeb had placed a photo on top of the pile for her to see. It showed a skinny woman in a sun hat and a bikini sitting in a beach chair by a pool. Who's she? the girl asked. My wife, may she rest in peace. She's very pretty, the girl said politely. She leaned over to the end table and poured herself another tumbler full of Kenny May. 
She had a chipped tooth, Jeb said, but she was pretty enough. A strange gal, never could tell what she was thinking, had strange habits, as do we all, and strange obsessions. She liked to buy all sorts of fancy things, lace and silk stuff, you know, lingerie. Tell you what, Jeb said, smiling now. She left drawers full of that stuff upstairs. I'd be happy to show you. It's all very nice. The girl put her glass down. Strange woman, Jeb continued. Kept a diary every day of her life. Made me swear I'd never touch it. When she passed, bless her dear heart, he put his hand on his chest, sucked in air at a stutter for a moment, looked up at the ceiling. I found the diary and I read it, and it was all about bowling. Bowling this and bowling that had me laughing and crying at once. That's love. He put his hand on the girl's knee, then looked out the window. The storm raged and clattered. The lights flickered, but they didn't go out. The pale, swollen, spotted hand on the girl's knee was inert, like a fat, sleeping lizard that could at any moment awaken and claw up her soft thigh. Get your nasty paw off my leg, the girl said flatly. She picked up his pinky finger and craned his hand up and to the side. You've got to be kidding me, she said under her breath, letting go. Jeb ignored her. He swayed his head in painful reverie. Oh, my sweet Betty Ann. She left a closet full of clothes, too. Great dresser, he said. Real style. And you know me, so sentimental, I couldn't part with those nice dresses. I always thought maybe one day someone would have a use for them. Like you, for instance. Hey! In a comic pantomime, he exhaled as though struck by lightning, sticking his arms out in front of him and letting his head loll and his tongue dangle from his mouth. Here's an idea, he said. His face brightened. Do you like old things? Vintage, as they say? I've got skirts, tops, and the dresses. Shoes, too. You're welcome to try anything on. Just up the stairs. The fleshy wrinkles around his mouth deepened as he grinned. The girl looked at her drink. If the kid isn't coming, I should just go home. But you've only just arrived. Jeb opened his hands, flittered his fingers. He reached across her lap for the Kenny May, filled both glasses, although neither was empty. Outside, the storm paused for a minute. They sat listening, waiting to see if it was really over. Then the rain started up again. I don't believe you ever had a wife, the girl said after a while. And this whiskey tastes funny. She set her glass on the coaster. It tastes cheap, she said. Lie down for a bit, Jeb said, not getting up off the couch. Take a load off. Stretch out if you like. Mi casa es su casa. I know a drop of Spanish. In French, voulez-vous, comment ça va? The girl yawned and shook her head. I'm not lying down with you, she said. But these dresses, Jeb said, they'd fit you perfectly. Let me bring one down so you can see it. 
My wife was quite the fashion plate and just your size. Shall I bring one down? It'd be such a pity to throw them all away. You can come up and look through them yourself, if you like. No thanks, the girl said. She was only pretending to be bored, it seemed, fingering the lid of Jeb's cigar box. It's all just sitting there, waiting to be revived, Jeb said. Take whatever you want, it doesn't matter to me. A bolt of lightning flooded the room with pale blue light. If I wanted to be fooled into your bedroom, you wouldn't have to ask twice, the girl replied. I already told you, I see your game. Jeb looked up at the ceiling. The loose, spotted skin of his throat flapped as he ground his jaws. So you're not interested, he said, crossing his arms. You've gone and changed your mind. Changed my mind? I was only trying to be courteous, neighborly, and here you come wanting to be comforted. I'm sorry if I gave you the wrong impression, the girl said sarcastically. Her mismatched eyes crinkled in derision, Jeb thought. You're lucky I'm not a creep, he continued. I could do anything I wanted to you, you know. A young girl, drunk on my couch. You should be more careful. My wife, Jeb gasped suddenly, dabbing pretentiously at invisible tears. God bless her soul. She was a good woman, an honest woman, no tease or hussy like you find nowadays. He stared down at the girl's bare feet on the hardwood floor and licked his lips. Still, the girl did not get up. I'm not feeling well, Jeb said, leaning back against the couch and closing his eyes. The girl turned and moved closer. The scent of coconut made him queasy. The hand she placed on his bony shoulder was warm and damp through his thin T-shirt. He froze. He felt her weight shift on the couch, heard the springs whine, and then she was on him, straddling him. Her breasts shoved up against his chin. Jeb could barely breathe. Is this what you were hoping for? She asked, watching his face for his reaction. Jeb kept his eyes shut, licked his lips again. The girl could smell the stink of his breath, like a sick cat's. She sniffed his mouth, wincing happily. Their faces were only a few inches apart. I was hoping, Jeb began to say. The load of her body against him ground at his bones. He felt himself blush, harden. He lifted his hands. The girl just laughed and hopped off him before he could touch her. Her dress had been hiked up in the maneuver. Jeb watched her thighs tremble with the impact of each step she took across the living room floor. In the hall, she laughed to herself some more, put her boots on, and whipped her raincoat off the rack. Let me see you to your door, Jeb called out, but she was already gone. An hour later, the nephew called again. My whole damn building lost power, he complained. I can't even watch TV. You could have spent the night here, Jeb chided him. I had a fine time with the neighbor girl without you. 
but I don't think you'd like her much. Sort of a dud, if you ask me. A fish in a bucket, as they say. No fun for the hunt. I've got other girls, the nephew said, and hung up. In the morning, pale mist filled the air like smoke. The girl's house was obscured by the fog. Jeb awoke on the couch, got the Kenny May, and assumed his position in the basement once more. A small drop of water trickled from the crumbling concrete wall down to the floor. He drank. All he heard from the girl's house was drawers and cabinets opening and shutting, the faucet running, and then her radio dial crackling up and down, landing finally on bright, snappy pop songs. She listened to one after another, singing merrily along, as though she were completely innocent, as though nothing at all had happened. Days passed. Jeb spent them sitting at his kitchen window. He watched the girl carry cans of paint into her house, smoke cigarettes on the front steps, pick up debris from the yard, drag bags of trash to the curb. Her figure appeared now and then through the wispy drapes of her bedroom when she opened or shut the window. The mail came. The sun rose and fell. Jeb neglected the dead leaves that had blown from the girl's yard into his. He didn't want the girl to see him out there raking. She was a tramp, a tease. Nobody worth his time, he told himself. He read the Sunday paper and fried his bacon while the girl painted and cleaned and hammered at her walls. Despite his neighborly instincts, he refrained from going over to offer his help or counsel. She's a plain Jane, is what he told his nephew when he came over for breakfast. No substance, no depth, full of herself for no good reason. Maybe I'll go over and say hello, the nephew said, but he didn't. And then, a few days later, Jeb heard the thunderous squeal of a motorcycle peeling up the road. For hours, he listened at his basement window nodding his head to the rhythmic tempo of the girl's headboard hitting the wall, the gasps and grunts and growls. When it was over, he took off on foot down the road into town and spent the whole afternoon ambling like a stray dog under the striped storefront awnings, dodging the daylight lest his white skin burn and blister. He licked a vanilla ice cream cone and regarded his slumped silhouette in the shop windows. He straightened his posture as best he could, but he was stooped by nature. He could still be a god on earth, however, if only he found the right tribe. That would really be something, to be worshipped and beloved. Jeb whistled through the warm evening streets, imagining this wonderful new place, and all the stupid people who would gasp and fall to their knees in ecstasy every time he shuffled past. That was Otessa Moschweg reading her story, An Honest Woman. She'll publish her first collection of stories, Homesick for Another World, in January. 
You can hear more New Yorker fiction read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker apps, available from the App Store or from Google Play. On the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, we invite writers to choose stories from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, Karen Russell reads From the 15th District by Mavis Gallant. You can subscribe to that and other New Yorker podcasts by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. The weekly audio edition of The New Yorker is available on iTunes or audible.com. Tell us what you thought of this podcast by rating and reviewing The Writer's Voice on iTunes. Our theme music is by Jordan Batiste and Ross Michaels of North American Plastics. The Writer's Voice is produced by Jill Duboff and Alex Barron of NewYorker.com. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.